Welcome to the Make It Work podcast brought to you by the team behind EpicWorks.com. Make It Work podcast is all about technology, product management and entrepreneurship. Our goal is to learn from the best in the industry. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. My guest today is Nicholas Hall. Um, Nicholas is a business executive who is passionate about how people and technology interact um, to run great processes. He has worked in and out of corporates and startups, always with the aim to make things work just a little bit better. He cares about personal growth and learning and believes that diverse minds think and create better ideas. We're going to jump into all of those topics as well as Nicholas's entrepreneurial journey. But before we jump in, Nicholas, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for the invitation, Balak, and uh, so pleased to meet you. Me too. Um, I got to know you through your interview with Fabian Berg. Um, I think this was two, two and a half years ago at the beginning of the pandemic or so. Indeed. And um, I'm very thankful to him for that um, because he actually interviewed so many people and in a way created this invisible network um, that I have definitely benefited from because after that interview, I read some of your writings on medium.com and I was like, oh, this is a person I would love to talk to as well someday. I had no idea that we would have a podcast, um, but <laughs> glad that this is happening. Um, and then, um, you know, it's um, it's been amazing. So um, I want the viewers to figure that out, why I think that is amazing and why you have so much to share and that it is interesting. Let's start with a very simple um, question from my point of view. Why do you create anything? Well, I think creativity is part of human uh, being. It's, it's part of our experience of being human. And I think creativity comes in many shapes. Um, I mean, sometimes we think tend to associate it with art or music and think that's creativity. But really anything that we uh, imagine and then put into the world is, uh, is creativity. And for me, that also applies in, uh, in, in business. And um, now, seeing seeing how things work uh, in in the workplace, uh, with the products you make, or how processes work inside a company, and then imagining this could actually be better, or this week we could do a different thing, or we could make something new. Uh, that that for me is uh, creativity, and uh, and and also this feeling that we want to create something right and want to make a little impact uh, as steve jobs said leave a dent in the universe somehow right some some of us leave bigger dents in the universe than others but we all want to have some kind of impact and uh, and touch other people and that is where we are creative and is that how how it started for you um, did you read steve jobs or somebody or and then it just kind of stuck with you uh, well, I've read uh, about Steve Jobs and his biography and, and stuff, uh, and uh, he is inspiring. But he's not—he's not sort of my main uh, driver. I, I think I've just always had this kind of uh, sort of natural inclination to, to look at things and say, "Oh, but maybe I can help out here. Maybe I can make this a little better, make life a little bit easier if we improve these things." Or uh, it's often been in connection with technology, right? To see. Why are we doing this in a silly way? If people are working so hard, we could make life easier for, for everybody. But of course, then you also uh, read about some of the big you know, uh, leaders in the, in the space and you think, okay, I, maybe I can learn some things. Right? 
I think one of the lessons I've had during life is I've read a lot of management books. And uh, mm-hmm. after, after a while, I tend to think they all give the same kind of advice. And uh, it's very hard actually to uh, apply the, the, the kind of advice because it worked for that company, for that person at that time. And if you just think, okay, I'm just going to do like Steve Jobs. Yeah, but you're not in Apple. You are in some other company. And, and part of your genius of what you can uh, contribute with is that you apply you, what you bring to the table in the setting where you are, right? And that's, that's how we have our own creativity. So inspiration is great, but, but copying doesn't mm-hmm. really work. Yeah. I mean, um, if you lay it out kind of at some point, there's an inspiration, whether it's from mm. inside or outside, and then you have the um, curiosity yes. to, to think about things and, and to imagine uh, a different way of uh, having a processes, uh, a process or a, a system. And then you need the creativity and you need the commitment to actually see it through. Um, it's quite a bit if you think about entrepreneurial journey and it would make sense then that majority of people would love to, but don't um, exactly. because it does take a lot. Yeah, and uh, I think these days there's a lot of talk also in corporates about having this entrepreneurial mindset. And uh, of course, I, I've worked both in and out of corporates, in the startup world and in the corporate world. It, it's very hard to uh, some kind of simulate what it's like to be in a startup when you're inside a corporate. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have the, the same risk profile. You don't have your um, uh, hand on the, the cooking plate. Right? It's, it's like um, you don't feel the heat when there's no money coming in. Right? Uh, so so the, the, the conditions are very different. But the entrepreneurial mindset is, is still uh, possible in uh, both startups and, uh, and, and the corporate world. And it is, as you said, it's about curiosity and then being able to act on that curiosity, right? And say, where does this lead us? Uh, should we do experiments? Should we run some, uh, some trials on this? This is also how I've worked uh, in corporate settings. Uh, and then sometimes uh, you, get, uh, you get stuck because things get very slow in, uh, in, in corporates, especially uh, I mean, when you really think you have a great idea and you want to push it through. And, and the thing about corporates is there are good good ideas that get pushed through in corporates, but uh, most of them don't. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why they are where they are. And um, if your idea is good but doesn't get through, then you may have to decide to uh, leave and uh, do a startup, right? To, so you can run your experiments outside of a, a corporate. Absolutely. Um, it makes me wonder kind of what sort of experiences really turn you into an entrepreneur. Um, if, it, if you're somebody who has never had that experience and your corporate wants to foster that, and obviously it's not the same thing for all the reasons you just mentioned. Um, the resources are different. The risk profile is different. Um, the, the goals are different. Um, is it almost necessary that you go out on your own and try to figure this thing out um, to actually really get the essence of it? Um, or do you think it is possible to foster it if only people got it right? No, I, I actually think it is possible mm-hmm. uh, to foster this. I, I think I, I think sometimes corporates tend to get it wrong by thinking that if uh, you put up uh, funny furniture and a uh, foosball table and uh, some ping pong, then it will happen. 
and 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 I think that's because that, that that is what you have seen if you look at uh, the Silicon Valley companies, and then you think, oh, that must be it. But 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 that is just sort of uh, something that comes along on the side. It is not what drives the creativity. Um, but but I think I think it is possible to work with uh, with the entrepreneurial mindset and to give it better conditions in in, in corporates. But of course, we also have to sort of keep in mind that that uh, now if a startup is successful mm-hmm. and grows and becomes a scale up, and then eventually it will morph into a corporate. And 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 the reason is of course that there's more and more at stake, which means that the company needs to protect itself. So you get more and more people in uh, finance and in legal and in compliance and in regulatory, and so so you get more and more of these defensive uh, structures in the company for a very good reason because suddenly there's a lot uh, at stake. Whereas in a startup, uh, you can pivot quickly and say, "Oh, this didn't work," and then we pivot. Uh, you don't have so much you can uh, lose. So, so it's a natural progression. But of course, these defensive mechanisms, they tend to kick in, right? In, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> as soon as you propose uh, ideas internally, then, ooh, oh, now can that uh, hurt compliance? Can, is it financially risky? Uh, are we even allowed to do this? And all these kind of uh, things. So, so you need to uh, build up some kind of environment that allows experiments uh, to happen within let's say the, uh, the the framework that a corporate needs uh, to to have now that's not easy uh, but of course you start by deciding that this is what you want to do right uh, and it's not just by you know, putting up a room and then say ah but this is our uh, thinking out of the box room right? uh, <laughs> you need a little bit more <laughs> than that Mm. Indeed, indeed. Um, carving out a box for out-of-the-box thinking um, yeah. <laughs> is not enough. Um, I, I think what you're pointing out, um, if I could try to summarize this and please help me out on this, it seems that corporates um, or any company that gets big enough um, starts to get optimized for damage control, um, whereas a startup is very much um, trying to optimize for profit maximization or achievement maximization. And that's a very different way of looking at the world, right? Um, when you're big enough and every little thing, as you said, uh, you know, the, the compliance officers must check if this press release is good enough to go out versus a startup where you're like, I'm just going to put out the whole code. What's the worst that's going to happen? And we will revert it or play with this. Um, I guess somehow enabling that mindset of you can take risks um, and in a way still, because we're talking about corporates, carving out a box that gives enough playroom is the challenge. Yes, and, and it's even on the commercial side, right? Because if, if you have grown to a big uh, corporate, then it also means you have commercial success, right? So you have uh, products that sell and are doing well. And uh, you want to grow that, but you don't want to rock the boat by... Uh, no. Uh, uh, distracting uh, the sales force with new products that are not in the same direction or uh, um, that might even cannibalize on your existing uh, products. So it's there's always these sort of hard choices you have to make once you actually have something that works. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, of course, it, 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 it can be done and it is done, but it is, uh, it is hard. And I quite often say when I talk with startup founders, uh, especially the ones who have never worked in a corporate, and, and there seems to be this kind of, uh, ah, but that's just corporates and they're just slow. And I think, uh, actually, I admire uh, when, when people in corporates 
manage to drive change and manage to turn a corporate in a different direction because it, it is so hard uh, to do. Uh, whereas it's so easy in a startup to change direction. It, it's, it's actually in your DNA. That is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so so, so I, I think there, there is change happening you know, in, in corporates. And when it happens, it's, uh, it's amazing to see, especially if it works. I totally agree. Um, I've had a couple of similar experiences, um, but I have to be honest, it is a long and arduous and painful process. It takes incredible commitment to, to keep pushing for something that you know from day one that it should be done, that mm-hmm. it is useful. But it is all the um, essentially helping people see um, that what you're trying to do is going to be beneficial and not hurt the the existing system that totally works um, or even in some cases that that uh, momentary pain is is worth it um, that you might cannibalize some existing system in order to create something new and that takes a lot of work yes. it's amazing of course and it has a lot to do with uh, with people right and it's often it's called like stakeholder management in, uh, in, in, in corporates when you want to engage with the different uh, branches and divisions uh, and, and that is very very important right you have to imagine uh, that that the the accountants or the compliance people they're not really there to piss you off uh, they are actually doing their job mm-hmm, indeed <laughs> so, so 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 you have to sort of get inside their heads and say so why uh, why are they saying that uh, this is risky or we cannot do this right and then see okay so how can i help them do their job, but also move my project uh, ahead, right? So there's so many things you need to think into your projects. Uh, and, and that for me is, is, is interesting, right? Because it's, we, we, we always thought, ah, but then we just put in this new technology and then everything would be amazing. Uh, but actually it's so much about people mm-hmm. and, and understanding how people uh, work and uh, why they work and why they do the things they do. It's it's interesting to to hear this because the two words that flash in my mind is again creativity and curiosity. Right, this is getting curious in real life, uh, getting creative in real life. Um, whether you're working with a startup or a corporate, in the corporate, then the stakes are uh, well, the stakes are higher, lower, depends on how you look at it. Um, but it comes down to that. It's being an entrepreneur trying to figure out who you're who your audience is, who your market is, how they are reacting to your ideas and your pitches and adjusting um, time and again to get something done, to get the result that you want. Um, is is that um, a good way to look at it or is it kind of me trying to put... Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I think it's a good way. And I, and I think it's about being genuinely curious mm-hmm. uh, and not not uh, not assuming that everybody else is stupid, uh, but but actually think that they do things for good mm-hmm. reasons. I mean, mo- most people are actually reasonable people, and they 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 get up uh, and go to work to do the right thing. Right. So so being curious and trying to learn about mm-hmm. why is that, and 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 then you can start putting the pieces together and say, okay, but how can we put this into a better product or a better process or do something that is smarter or so so leverage the strength instead of uh, trying to fight uh, uh, against a system that uh, that is actually there for uh, for for your protection. 
So having said this, of course, you can have some some obstacles that you think are unreasonable and mm -hmm. stuff, right? But that is then the art is trying to sort of <laughs> navigate around that. Uh, uh, and, and that's where you get to this uh, you know, understanding your stakeholders and uh, finding a balance. And that's not easy, but uh, when you when it works, it works. Fun. I agree. Let's take a um, hard left here um, or hard right, depending on uh, which <laughs> which system you drive in. Um, your entrepreneurial journeys started a long time ago, uh, and in one of your articles, I read about the story of um, selling beer at college campus. Is um, Do you want to tell that story and um, tell us a bit more? Was that the first um, business you did? Uh, yeah, actually, it, it was an existing uh, business in the sense it was a student house. Uh, we were uh, 300 people, uh, engineering students mostly, uh, very close to the Technical University of Denmark. And uh, uh, you had 18 kitchens, uh, as it's called, where you had these people who belonged to each uh, kitchen. And they would each have... Uh, a person or two person, people they could send down to the basement because it was in the basement and they could buy the the beers and the wine and the, 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 the sodas, whatever they needed for um, for the kitchen. So so that was a, a convenient shop. And basically you, you started as, you could get be the manager of this shop. So some people had that before us and then me and a friend, we took over. And... Uh, And, and and the idea was you were paid on commission basically. So the more you you could sell, the more you could, uh, uh -huh. could earn. So of course we started immediately thinking, okay, so uh, great. So how can we <laughs> optimize uh, sales and how, what what should we do? And even how could we improve the processes because there was a lot of manual work. Uh, those days we only had uh, beer bottles in Denmark, so it was heavy crates uh -huh. that we had to push up and down uh, from the basement up to the. Uh, up to the street level because that's where the delivery trucks came and they would pick up the empty crates and deliver the new ones. I mean, it's a lot of uh, physical right. effort. So so all this, so we started getting creative and thinking, okay, so how can we improve the process so the, the work gets easier and how can we make uh, the products more attractive and, uh, and, and make people want to buy here? Because of course, people also had the options to go down to the big supermarkets who quite often had uh, products on sale, which we couldn't mm -hmm. compete with. So, so we had to find out how can we find uh, you know, something that motivates people to buy from our shop uh, and not just because it's the closest, but because they actually want to buy here. And so, so that was a good uh, start in sort of business life saying, okay, so how can we improve and what works and what, uh, why are people not buying this uh, kind of beer? Ah, because they can't find it. Okay, so let's build a display, put it up here so they can actually find it, put up some fancy lights, mm -hmm. make some competitions or do some things. And you did, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, they did. We did. We did increase sales. So, so that was that was actually uh, that was actually fun. Sweet. Um, what lessons from that time have you carried over to all the other things you have done since? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's this idea about not taking things for granted, even though they seem to be fixed. Right? I mean, this was a you know a, a fairly small shop in the sense of a very well-determined market because we could only sell to the people living in the student house. So, I mean, you, we couldn't suddenly say, ah, but let's go out and sell to uh, everybody else. You know exactly how many customers wow. you could have. Uh, so, so, so just looking at that, and you, you would have taken one approach and say, okay, I'll just uh, sort of mm -hmm. run it and, and, uh, as it is. Uh, but I think even something that has been around for, for a while and you think, yeah, but maybe we can do some things, right? And, and I think 
And I think it is looking at this and this curiosity again, right? Looking at things in a new way and saying, yeah, but maybe we could do mm-hmm. something uh, just a little differently. And, and, and I think that, that is an approach that I've used again and again, right? Is, is to see even when things are working, it doesn't mean that they couldn't work better or that you could do things in a different way. And just having the, let's say, this inclination to, to uh, challenge a little bit the assumptions and say, well, but what if we test mm-hmm. this? Right? And of course, some things don't work or don't have an impact or uh, it looks nice, but people don't care. Or it doesn't change the, mm-hmm. the behavior. Okay, but then you, you learn. And, and this was nice because it was a small scale stuff, right? And, uh, and taking this small scale thinking then into a bigger context and say, but maybe we can still run some smaller uh, experiments and then learn and then take it up to the bigger scale. Absolutely. Yeah, I I think um, for the product managers out there listening and for myself as well, the reminder I'm creating it is um, figure out what the value proposition is um, against your competitors, um, what differentiates you. And um, if you don't have the answer, start experimenting and testing what actually works um, because not everything will. Sometimes that display will be nice and you'll get compliments, but you won't sell a single bottle of beer <laughs> more than what you did. No. Um, or exactly. you can play with the pricing, but um, that might not be profitable in the end. Um, and then knowing your addressable market um, helps for sure. Exactly. And, and I mean, uh, about pricing, uh, I mean, and, and that's also what I quite often, both uh, with my own startups, but also uh, discuss with other founders is if, if you jump immediately into the pricing game, you will have a hard time. And especially when you're fighting against the mm. big companies, right? We had no chance to beat the big supermarkets if they put out uh, offers uh, on, on beers. We had no chance to get that kind of prices. We couldn't yeah. even buy the beer for that price. Right? So so it's, uh, so there's no point in jumping onto the, the price uh, because uh, that would just be a trip straight down mm-hmm. to, uh, to losses. So, so that forces you to be creative in other ways right? and say, okay, well, the price is what it is, but Absolutely. what else can so, we offer? So um, I'm very curious. You started doing these experiments. Um, when, when, did you, when was that moment where your first experiment succeeded? Um, you know, when you counted the money and you went like, yes, we, we got this one right. How was that feeling? It's a great feeling in, 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 in that sense, right? When you... Um, we, we had we had now quite a few product categories. Uh, let's say the more uh, exclusive beers than the uh, and they they didn't sell very much. But and, but we realized that they were hidden somewhere in the back. So mm-hmm. so maybe that was the reason, right? And and just by twisting this and making now a little bit more interesting, mm-hmm. you could immediately see the, the 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 sales go up, right? And uh, and, and and I think then we changed, you know try to do some different brands and try to uh, you know, switch things and see what is popular and also taking some chances, right? Sometimes uh, <laughs> uh, crazy products get in fashion for, for the parties. Uh, then all drinks need to be purple <laughs> and you need to have some purple uh, liquor. And, and then, you know, but as soon as that uh, trend uh, leaves again, nobody wants to use that product anymore. Uh, so, so you have how how much do we actually bet on this, right? Do, do you want to be stuck with uh, ten crates of uh, purple mm-hmm. uh, liquor that uh, <laughs> nobody wants to buy for the next ten years? 
Uh, indeed, that's, that's indeed. I love this idea of um, um, thinking of thinking creatively about something that is already running. So um, we started Epic two years mm. ago, and now it's at a stage where there's a more or less a stable process. The team has its own rhythm. And um, every once in a while, I have a lot of sticky notes here on the wall on the left. Um, I go through them and I see the reminder where it's like, um, just stop and empty your mind for a moment and imagine you just inherited this company. It's running like this. It's working like this. It has mm. this rhythm. What are all the um, levers that you can pull or um, drivers that you can you can push to, to make that difference, um, whether on production or whether on adoption etc and i think it's a fascinating exercise to do from time to time because also if you are the founder it can be that you get into this mode of um well i mean you you get into your own rhythm and it it starts to blind you just like the corporates get blinded by their same <laughs> rhythms and can't think out of the box so i want to come come back to this um in a bit um Starting from setting beer at the college campus and learning a lot aside from um, your actual degree program that you were there for, um, how did your how did your career change and uh, did you actually finish your degree? Uh, yes, I did finish my degree and then I went abroad to get some other uh, some other uh, degrees and um, yeah, I came back to Denmark to uh, yeah, to start my professional life and. Uh, Eventually, found myself in uh, old-fashioned uh, chemical production, uh, uh, small plant in northern Jutland, uh, working with uh, wow. using fertilizers. Uh, and that's very old-school um, uh, chemical uh, engineering. All of that is actually gone now. Um, and I mean, I, I was hired to to work on uh, on the chemical engineering and uh, the environmental. Uh, uh, efforts uh, around the plant and uh, work, work with the authorities. But actually, very quickly, I realized that hey, there's a lot of things here that are really uh, inefficient, uh, you know, a lot of forms being filled out in paper. And especially when I realized that I was supposed to count all these uh, reports and put them into another report, mm -hmm. I thought that is really a waste of time. And this was back in uh, 95. Right? So early days uh, of, of, of uh, internet and stuff. So it was there, network was there, and your yeah, emails were there, but it was still so early days. Well, Windows 95, was it was it there yet? Yeah, it was there, but not um, no, not big things. I've, I've worked mm -hmm. with fax for, for, for a long time also and stuff like that, right? But I just realized, uh, but look, if, um, if we could put all this data down on a network so that we could all access it, and then I could build some... Uh, some macros to compile the data and, and make the uh, the reports automatically and then uh, my manager could get the reports automatically without me having to do anything right? that was a complete completely crazy idea for them and i said uh, yeah. told my boss well uh, if you get me a laptop uh, i'll do this in my spare time and i'll create this oh well, that's really big investment and stuff but then okay so they they gave me a laptop and i created this uh mm -hmm. Basic, very simple uh, things actually, right? But uh, it changed a lot for, for, for the people and they realized, oh, but we can just uh, type in the data here and then somebody else can see it over there. And uh, that was amazing. And and that's 
very quickly established uh, some kind of, uh, ooh, somebody up here in Northern Jutland knows things. And then people were calling me from Copenhagen saying, ah, but uh, you made this for them. Could you please do this uh, little thing for us? And that that just shows how crazy it was, right? Because uh, the the young engineer getting hired somewhere in the smallest uh, subsidiary and... uh, just by being the one who says, I, I don't know, but I'll, I'll learn, right? I was reading through all the visual basic manuals and stuff, and uh, how can I power up this uh, Excel uh, thing? And just by doing that, suddenly you now became the oh, the guru in uh, in, in that. Uh, and it wasn't very fancy and uh, 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 thing, but I think the, the the difference was looking at things and saying, ah, no, why are we doing it this way? Couldn't we do things in, yeah. a, in a better way? And I think this question, just why, is is in, and and then knowing at least to some extent there are other solutions out there, and even if you don't know hundred percent how does it work, but just knowing that there's something you can do, then you can start applying that. And this is something I still sell to um, companies today. So I mean, you don't have to be an expert on uh, AI uh, or um, uh, robots or all of these processes but if you know that it exists yeah. and you know what they can do then you can look at your uh, at, at your process and the things that you actually know about and then you can imagine maybe mm-hmm. this could be something uh, that an AI could help us with and only after that then you can start trying to talk with people who would say ah but then you should do this type of algorithm or this type of algorithm right and, and too often mm-hmm. I find that people, they jump immediately into that we need uh, machine learning. I think, well, maybe you do. Who knows? But if you understand what the uh, intelligence part can do or what the uh, robotic part could mm-hmm. do or uh, what is the requirement from, from a data point of view, and then you use that to challenge your own processes and say, why are we doing it this way? Mm-hmm. Could we do it in some other way? Would it help us? Would it be better? And then you can open up this uh, creativity and, and then we come to this uh, diverse minds, right? Because as soon as you get everybody on board thinking mm-hmm. about their own business, what they know, but then broadening indeed, that. Indeed, indeed. Then you can find Fascinating um, story. Was that your first um, uh, encounter with computers or had you been interested before or had you been using computers for yourself and then you brought them to the factory? I got my first uh, ZX Spectrum in uh, 1982 or three, uh, and, and started playing games. I think that's where most of us started with computers. Uh, was playing games, and mm-hmm. of course, uh, started getting fun. To, could we uh, <laughs> develop our own games? Uh, <laughs> and, and like most other people, I think, ah, but I think I'll design this uh, major castle with thousand rooms. And then you start programming mm-hmm. the first room, and you realize, oh, thousand rooms, maybe. Maybe a little bit too much, right? <laughs> uh, but just the challenge of trying to do things and make things happen, right? And playing with the code and uh, uh, gradually then we got computing as, uh, lessons in school. And that was when the BBC Acorn was the, 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 the big computer and we all got that one in, in school and learned coding. And of course, at the Technical University, we also used computers, but we also used... Yeah. Uh, other stuff, so I mm-hmm. you know, wrote a lot of exams in uh, in hand, uh, but of course, you know, word processing, uh, spreadsheets, and all that was uh, sort of uh, 
coming up and uh, at the very end uh, e emails right was oh uh, now we have emails um so yes so i i've i've had an interest for for computing since i was uh, a young teenager uh, and also, I mean, just moving from, oh, you can do games to, uh, you can do other things. Uh, actually, you can do all kinds of things and then uh, yeah. sort of saying, where, where, can this, uh, where can this lead? And even then, and back in 85, I was, uh, I was invited to go to uh, Turin in Italy to visit uh, some of the leading companies there that uh, were very... Mm -hmm. uh, advanced at that stage with uh, robots and uh, you know, even saw some early examples of intelligent logics and uh, AI and uh, you know, very fancy stuff. So I sort of, ah, this is really great. We can do amazing things with uh, technology and uh, kind of reinforced my interest in uh, you know, engineering and, and, and moving that direction saying, so how can technology actually help us do things? Wow. That is amazing. In 85, I was one year old. Um, should I say one year or one year old? <laughs> one year, just one. Um, but that's, um, for me, the, yeah. the part that is really interesting is I was born in Pakistan, by the way, so um, no computers in school. I think when I was in grade eight, we probably had one computer at school, but um, nobody really used it and it broke down at some point. So, um, But luckily, somehow I... W somehow I got interested in learning to type. Uh, and at that time, you still had typing schools. You went there, you paid somebody, and you took lessons on how to type uh, well and fast. And um, I remembered that um, my uncle had a Commodore 64. Um, so I had never used it. It was still in the storage at home. Um, and one of my earliest memories of that computer was seeing the little display, the, the tiny, tiny display. Um, and then I was like, well, if I'm going to type on um, things that look like keyboards, that other thing looked much fancier than, than a typewriter. Um, and that got me actually to, to, to take programming lessons outside of school. And um, I started with, um, I think it was... COBOL um, and then eventually got to GW Basic and the thing that really clinched it for me was um, the subroutines in GW Basic and starting to um, make music and create patterns um, on the screen um, and the display started to get colors. Um, the first display was black and white and then just the, the green or, or the yellow one and then some more colors came in. Um, I never really programmed games. I played some in those early days. Um, and that's what stands out uh, in a way for me as well, because the moment you start playing games, you're always naturally thinking, can I do this better? Um, and you fail time and again, but you're interested. Um, mm. It's perhaps the, the best entrepreneurial training you can get without any monetary loss, because your brain automatically is like, okay, I, I know I kind of start to um, recognize the pattern. I need to act early or later or slow down. Um, it teaches you a lot. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I, I think maybe there's some awareness coming up uh, now about the value of, uh, of the skills that, uh, and the mindsets that you learn when you, when you play games. Um, so of course it's a big industry in itself, the the, the the whole gaming. But but I think there are indeed these 
this approach to solving problems when you are playing games and the persistence. And I mean, if everybody was spending so many hours on solving other problems that they're willing to do when you're playing games, right? We could solve really hard problems. And and we can see also now more with uh, you know, simulations and stuff. This is also really like creating a game universe where we're trying to experiment with things in a simulated world. Uh, and the more we do this, uh, well, the more experiments we can run and test our ideas. And I really think all of that comes from, from this kind of yeah, playful curiosity that you want to explore a gaming world. And 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 quite often you see when, when, when you get a new game, and I see it with mm-hmm. my kids also now, is you don't read the instructions. Right? You just try. And then you discover, ah, I can move like this, I can do this, or if I type this command, something will happen. Or And, and then you grow, and then you go online and you have a community and you share experience, so you leverage other people's thinking. So all of these behaviors that we would like to see in companies, right, where you actually use the knowledge that is around and you experiment and you explore and you improve, and, and you find a strategy for how to, to, to get through this. These are all good skills that, that you would like to see also mm-hmm. in a business context. So I, I really think we should elevate <laughs> gaming to something more. Uh, both, it can both be fun, yeah. but, but you learn something. Well, um, some other people might object that gaming as great as it is um, still doesn't have, um, well, it doesn't quite yet have the the feeling of being with another person um it doesn't quite yet have the you don't really see the body language you don't um mm. in a way you learn a lot of the curiosity you're simulating you're able to play faster and repeat the games um you learn a lot of those skills without the full spectrum of human emotion involved um and um, especially when people talk about the negative effects of um, gaming on kids, um, I think we should definitely give credit for the creativity and um, the problem-solving skills that it teaches. But what would you say to people objecting about the lack of social skills that it might also lead to? I'm not sure if it leads to lack of social skills or if... Uh, it depends on you know, which way which way does the arrow point of uh, uh, causality right? what what leads to what and I think a compared little bit if, if, if you look at it in, in a business context and we've all had the uh, experience now of being confined in our homes uh, during uh, during uh, covid uh, but but most of us, uh, I've, I've worked a lot with you know, uh, di- different countries around the world, and uh, so you need to travel, right? So you have your colleagues in Asia or some place, so you need to travel, you travel a lot. And, and people are saying, ah, but why don't you just uh, uh, you know, have online meetings or phone calls? Um, and my answer has always been, yes, you should have online meetings and phone calls, but from time to time, you need to have this personal contact. Exactly, so mm-hmm. you establish some kind of mm-hmm. uh, social context. You know what people look like uh, when they say certain things uh, and you can hear, uh, okay, now uh, she is mm-hmm. a little bit upset or uh, she's happy or whatever. It's, it's, which means that when you just talk on the phone and you don't have the uh, luxury of, uh, of, of a, sort of a visual impression, mm-hmm. you can interpret mm-hmm. by just the voice stuff because you can already imagine what, what the person looks like. So if you have that combination of uh, human experience, uh, then you can also work with the uh, 
let's say the, the tech solutions in between, right? But if you only rely on uh, technology, then mm-hmm. then then you will lose a little bit. It becomes a little bit sort of impersonal, right? Uh, having said that, I mean I've worked with many people that I've only talked with on the phone for for years, and uh, that has been. <laughs> It's been sometimes a shock when you finally meet the person. Say, "Oh, you look like that," right? But, but you can do it, right? Um, and 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 I think for 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 games, it's also what happens around the game that is important, because of course, yes, uh, you're playing and you have avatars and stuff. Uh, they don't look anything like you or don't express all the details of emotions. But for instance, and I've uh, heard, and I certainly heard it when my son has been playing Fortnite. Uh, it's the whole conversation, sometimes shouting and screaming uh, with his friends uh, mm-hmm. uh, on the side of the game, right? So, so they're playing the game, but it's everything else they're discussing on the side that is the social uh, part. And and most of them are friends he knows in real life also, right? So so mm-hmm. they have some things they do in real life, some things they do in the, in, in the games uh, and, and I think it blends a little bit um, together in, in these different realities. Uh, and, and for me, it's interesting. And, and then I think like all technology, mm-hmm. it has a tendency to magnify good and bad. Uh, so, so if we have some tendencies to be awkward uh, socially uh, uh, in real life, uh, technology can, can magnify some of these issues, but also it can magnify the good connections and, and do the right things, right? So double-edged sword as it always is with technology. Indeed, indeed. I, um, the answer is always in the balance, right? It's it's not the technology to be blamed for any ill effects, but um, our own faults at times of not being able to balance that. Um, so let's take that a bit into the future. And you mentioned AI and robotics. And when we talk about gaming, it's increasingly happening in virtual worlds that are much more immersive than ever before. Um, and that is going to create a very different future. I'm basically hiding the statement that it is going to happen. Um, and I, it's something that I love to think about and try to imagine how that will actually impact society. Um, so... Let's give ourselves a bit of space and I would love to hear your unstructured thoughts on what's happening when AI, robotics and mixed reality becomes ubiquitous. I think many things can happen. And I also think, I mean, uh, I, I read a lot of different scenarios. I think about different scenarios. And of course, you can span all the way from uh, the, the, the complete dystopia. <laughs> We're all going uh, straight down to hell uh, right now. Uh, or or it uh, sometimes it also sounds like uh, more uh, utopia, right? Where it suddenly feels like, uh, ah, but we're all going to live in the metaverse mm-hmm. and uh, all our friends are going to be there and we're never actually going to go anywhere. Yeah. I think it depends a little bit where you are, which part you consider the utopia and which part you consider the dystopia. But of course, I don't think we want to be in a world where we have nothing uh, to do and everything is just uh, a simulation. Right? But I, I, I think for sure, um, so ideas like the metaverse uh, will materialize. Uh, in some sense, it has already materialized, but it has not found its final shape. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether there will be a final shape is, of course, also debatable. Uh, and maybe there will be multi-metaverses. I, I like to think about these uh, sort of um, ideas where we have 
a blend between the digital and mm-hmm. the, the physical world. Uh, I, I, I quite often I have to sort of mm-hmm. remind people that we actually still need to eat and uh, and do other very uh, real world uh, things, and uh, we cannot eat uh, bits and bytes from uh, <laughs> from the computer yet. So so uh, so there is this this uh, connection, but then I think we can do some very interesting uh, things that will make lives better. And uh, and uh, I think Gary mm-hmm. Kasparov has talked about this augmented uh, intelligence instead of artificial intelligence. And I think that's that's kind of the idea that uh, that I like that 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 we don't uh, try to compete uh, with artificial intelligence. Because in some in some mm-hmm. ways, artificial intelligence will beat human intelligence uh, every time. In others, not. And um, and and we shouldn't try to compete <laughs> with with AI in in, in areas where uh, clearly we are not mm-hmm. uh, well suited with our human intelligence. Despite what we see, most people trying to do right now. And I, I started my. Uh, my my talk here with with the, with the spreadsheet and trying to improve that and people are so in love with their spreadsheets and uh, and try to do all kinds of things yeah. with that and really a lot of that is best done by computers uh, and and yet some people are willing to really fight hard for their right to uh, to sit and, and look at big mm-hmm. tables with uh, with with data and say that they do that better than a computer uh, and I don't think so I think we will uh, we should leave that uh, that part. To uh, to computers because they actually are better at crunching data and uh, mm-hmm. and, and and giving out some insights uh, from that. But but where we can uh, be better is 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 uh, you know in, in thinking about how should we apply this and where should we put this to use mm-hmm. and and which kind of questions are we asking from the data and 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 that is quite often what I find is surprising that so when when you hear people say. We, we want to use AI mm-hmm. on this, I say, but which kind of questions are you trying to explore? Ah, we don't know. Okay, so, so maybe that is where you should start, right? So be, so be creative about what is it you want to use the technology to achieve. And then, of course, sometimes you may get a surprising result that will drive you in a different direction, but then you can get curious again mm-hmm. and say, right? But, but having this, using the human part saying what is it we actually want to achieve what is we want to do do we want to make the world a better place what how can we use ai mm-hmm. uh, to to do uh, good in the, in the world for instance right and uh, and asking these the right questions uh, i think leaves a lot of room for uh, for, for for humans to have uh, exciting jobs and uh, and, and and good roles mm-hmm. with technology uh, not against technology uh, I also see the actually just from the uh, competition I was attending yesterday for the Danish uh, Championship for Entrepreneurship. I mean, I saw p- uh, people working on how can you use um, robots in a way to make uh, people's work life uh, better, right? In the, uh, so, so instead of replacing the humans, just say, okay, but can we help them not get uh, worn down physically? Can we help them do more uh, yeah. with the machines, uh, but not being replaced by the machines? And and just that, I think, is already an interesting idea and uh, and, and good use of technologies. Robots have become uh, more uh, easily available and more affordable, which means more companies can start using them, even in smaller companies. So, so what kind of opportunities will that open for, for, for people? Right? So, so I, I think there's this, 
we, we quite often hear either about the big uh, dystopia where we're all going to be uh, slaves of uh, the AI or the, the other one, we're all going to live happily in the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them are sort of <laughs> far out some, uh, some, some, some way. Uh, and I think as usual, we will uh, uh, sort of model our way through uh, different technologies. Some experiments will fail uh, as they should, uh, and others will uh, will work. Uh, but that's how it has been, right? Uh, we had the big battles in the early days of uh, video systems. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not always the best system that wins, but uh, something will. Uh, but eventually, then that that gets replaced by something else, and uh, I, I think right now we're in the early battle of the metaverses uh, phase, and nobody really knows it. It's a little bit like uh, uh, the whole crypto space, uh, which for me mm-hmm. is a very promising uh, direction. And then I admit that a lot of it will be uh, experiments which will fail on the way. We saw that recently, but. But we have to go through that phase. We have to sort of experiment with that. And somebody has to be crazy enough to believe that this will work. And eventually something will come out of that that says, okay, now we can make something that we didn't imagine uh, before. And we couldn't, uh, mm-hmm. we couldn't do it before. But now we have a technology. And we just thought it was a currency. But it turns out now it's a, it's a technology we can use to do other things. I think the, the entrepreneurial people, the enterprises um, and policymakers at some point would have to put their heads together because as human beings, we are curious and there will always be curious people who who see this technology. And this is incredibly powerful. The three things that we are talking about, um, AI, robotics and um, mixed reality, people will create uses out of that, that other people will like. Um, and that is going to have an impact, whether that's positive or negative, is where also um, how we construct societies um, through our policymakers, through our governments, um, will have to come in. And you are somebody who is actually an entrepreneur um, and throughout your career have worked with so many different um, people. And of course, you have built up that network and you might... um, be already advising people on how to go about this, um, or for sure will be. Um, you're on the board of advisors of companies. Um, I want to play the commoner here um, and um, see what what you bring from you with all your experiences to this um, to this scenario. So, if I just take uh, mixed reality, I think it's it's wonderful and. Um, I'm hesitating to say too much about the metaverse because, um, you know, uh, I don't I don't want to let the buzzword cloud this. But I mean, the last few years um, have been incredible. I have had so much flexibility working from home. Um, now I look forward to five or 10 years from now where I can put my VR headset and I don't even have to worry about my background or um, where I am and the noise cancellation on the on the headphones is perfect. So I can have meetings from a beach in Portugal. Um, you know, um, I can um, do my work and um, use AI assistance to schedule some of the things for later. So I'm not bound to the nine to six anymore. Um, you know, I, I could go for a run and take the call and then jump into the sea. Um, some of the things would be done by, by the robots. I, I, I want to get to the robots in a bit because there's, it's very fascinating there. Imagine 
most of the people on this planet um, or anyone who can um, using VR or mixed reality or some form of that to collaborate and get a very high degree of richness of communication. So it's almost the next best thing um, um, to being in front of you in the office together. And with that comes all the whiteboarding possibilities so you can brainstorm and all the information gets captured and so on. The amount of impact that just has on the possibility of where people can live and work from um, and the amount of traffic that it might just reduce at the rush hours is already something that uh, fascinates me, right? It's it's not just the first order effect of VR that I don't have to be in the office. I can communicate much better from wherever. Um, and also I'm assuming 5G will be there by that time. So the data transfer rates won't be a problem. But it starts to impact cities and how we live. Um, isn't that fascinating? And what would need to happen that we actually get a positive outcome out of this technological innovation? What would what? How do you imagine this? I agree with that, and I mean, I, I think I've I've been through mm -hmm. one of these transitions, right? When when, when we got the uh, the mobile phones, I mean, for me that was amazing that I could be anywhere. And I could call uh, somebody in a completely different country, uh, and the, you know, the, the voice would be clear. And uh, you know, suddenly you could be wherever you wanted to be, and you could answer the phone. You could call somebody and just talk. I mean, that 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 changed how we could do business and the whole thing of being anywhere, right? And so, so now we're sort of leveling up, right? <laughs> Going to the to the next thing. But but this this idea of how you can actually completely transform uh, ways we work and how we can collaborate and uh, the speed at which we can do things, but even more human things, right? I mean, uh, I could be uh, somewhere uh, I don't know in Asia, and suddenly my uh, mother calls me on the phone, and it's like ah, it's like she's right here, and we're connected. And, um, that was in the good old Nokia days when they were really connecting people, and. Um, I, th I think I think you're right. So so about these um, mixed realities and the opportunities it gives, what what takes time, but but which is also inspiring from a creativity point of view is, if you start asking yourself the question, so what if we have autonomous cars? What if we have uh, mixed reality? What if we uh, could actually live and work from anywhere? How would we design cities? How would we design work? Uh, uh, what what is what are the new opportunities that are not directly related to to the technology, but are like the consequences of that? If we actually use it, then we could also rethink other industries and say, okay, we could actually live in different ways in the cities. We could design the spaces in the cities in a different way. Um, uh, we could change uh, the big broad streets into some other useful uh, recreative area, something. So there's a lot of, uh, let's say, uh, room for uh, you know, creative exploration right now that is coming out of the opportunities of uh, technologies in a different field. And, and I think that, that opens um, many opportunities also in the field of uh, healthcare, right? Uh, so it, of course, if you live in a big city, it's not difficult to get to uh, to, to see your doctor uh, normally. Uh, but if you live more, mm -hmm. uh, uh, let's say, uh, remote areas, uh, having access to uh, 
talk with your doctor in, uh, in, in VR, uh, even maybe getting uh, examinations or the tests uh, transmitted via data. There's a lot of things that suddenly become possible and, uh, and reachable at affordable uh, prices for everybody. So, so I, I think it should it should transform how we live, uh, which direction it will take and how quickly that will happen. Because of course, there's a lot of other interests tied up in, uh, let's say, property value in cities right. and stuff that, that some people say, ah, but then what about that value and, and all of this, right? But 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 I I think I think it is uh, it's it's something we uh, we should definitely think about and uh, and and try to benefit from right instead of fighting it. But I, I expect it will be the usual uh, struggle where people say no no it really it's it's great the way it is. Uh, we can just see it now already right. Uh, uh, now it's ah, should everybody be in the office? Uh, can we do remote work? Mm-hmm. Is it two days remote and three days in the office or? Which, which for me is really not just like stepping back to uh, <laughs> trying to get back to everything as it was, the, the normal way, right? Instead of saying, okay, now we all had one big uh, experiment mm. that we didn't ask for, but we got it anyway with the COVID lockdowns. Uh, did we learn anything, right? And this whole idea about getting back to normal, uh, yeah, but maybe we should get forward, right, to, to a new normal. I think um, I have an opinion on this that I'm starting to be more and more convinced of, and that is people will choose convenience over um, oftentimes over policy and sometimes even over um, so-called morals or morality. You know, um, so many of us talk about privacy and privacy issues Mm. and um, um, Facebook, Instagram, all sorts of um, platforms um, that have been collecting tons of data um, and have more than enough proof that that data was, let's say, at the very least, not cared for or carelessly handled. Um, um, And now there's so many documentaries about it and almost every other person who uses Facebook can have an opinion or a thought on um, privacy, even if they don't fully understand how the technology behind it works or how that data was used or misused or abused. Um, But still, billions of people use these technologies and products because it's convenient. Um, A lot of people were talking about Uber and how Uber is a terrible company and when all the um, nefarious things they were doing behind the scenes came out. But the consumers continued to use it because it was a lot more convenient. It was a bit cheaper. You could see where the driver was. You know, um, people somehow end up choosing convenience if it works. Um, somehow the majority ends up choosing it. And I think with um, with this thing of remote work um, and the massive technology adoption it created for most, let's say, non-tech people, um, people having to use Zoom a lot more or people getting their education over the screen instead of going to the university. There's now a huge mass of people who have seen how convenient it can be. Um, And even if Elon Musk goes out and says, no, everybody has to be back at the factory, I don't think there's a way, you know, we're not going to go back. It's impossible. Too many people have seen how good this is for them. Uh, Yes. Uh, Again, I think that... uh, I, I... I heard somebody say, uh, call mm-hmm. it on, uh, on the podcast, call it the uh, the laptop classes, right? 
So, so of course, now if you have if you have a job where you can take your laptop anywhere mm-hmm. uh, and work from uh, no, at at any time, uh, yes, then you can do mm-hmm. that kind of things. Uh, but some things need to happen in the physical world, right? And and, and factories are typically uh, this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you you cannot build a car remotely uh, uh, as as such, right? So so I I think of course it's it, it tends to be. Uh, in in certain bubbles where, where everybody uh, thinks that everybody mm-hmm. works from a laptop, and then we all agree that it's great to work from uh, from home. Uh, but some people actually need to be <laughs> where where things are produced, and uh, and even during mm-hmm. lockdowns, I mean, uh, some people actually needed to drive the goods around. Indeed, it's great that you can order it online. Indeed, yeah, but it has to move physically, right? So 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 it's. Um, so it's 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 not so easy in in, in that sense. But I I think I think what it has also done is of course it challenges some of our uh, leadership models and business uh, models and uh, says so what, how how do we measure and value productivity? Uh, is it necessary that the boss has seen you sit in the office for eight hours? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the discussions we had came about trust. If people work from home, can I trust that they have really been working for eight hours? Uh, and, and and that is a kind of an old industrial thinking, right? That that your, your productivity is the number of hours uh, multiplied right. by your productivity per hour, and then you know how much you have uh, produced. But for many kinds of jobs, that mm-hmm. is not the productivity. It's not the value that you've created. Some people might be able to do it in four hours instead of eight. So so it challenges a lot of our thinking about what is work and uh, and, and how do we value it and how do we uh, manage it and. Uh, can we perform leadership and how do people collaborate? Mm. So, so from a tech kind of uh, uh, driven solution, I might say, it, it opens up for this. We need to be creative again about what is a company? What is it we're doing? Uh, how, how do we want to run the processes? How do we want to be people collaborating together? Uh, some part will be technology, some part will not. Indeed. Indeed. I, I have so many ideas coming up. I wanted to talk about robotics and how um, just before short of um, full on robotics, um, just the augmentation of humans uh, with exoskeletons is probably going to improve some of the, let's say, the crudest form of productivity we have in factories, A human being working uh, with their muscles and bones to get something done. Uh and there's a lot of research going on. There's a lot of use of exoskeletons already, and they're getting lighter and faster and easier to use and deploy and cheaper. Um, that's going to transform really those things that need to happen in physical reality. And the, and the moment you attach um, the other pieces of the puzzle, the, the cameras and the sensors and the AI that is supporting you, and um, we might come to a future where less people are needed in the factories, uh, less of them get injured, uh, and perhaps more of them can sit at home and um, drive their bot avatar in the factory working with the big bot um, that is building the machine. And even that part might be influenced. Now, you can tell that I'm I'm a very imaginative person and and I'm looking forward to the utopia. Um, But is that something that you see um, happening? Um, do you see people actually trying to bring the different aspects of these technologies together to to get the maximum benefit out of it? Or is it still too disparate? I do see that that 
this is happening and uh, is being explored. Uh, and, and again, it quite often starts you know, in games and sports and stuff, and people explore how can we enhance the body, how can we do more, but then that sort of trickles out into other areas. And of course, the exoskeleton and, and, and the whole way, what, what can uh, machines or machines plus humans do together? Uh, I, I, I think that for sure will come more and more, and, and whether we more or less integrate with the machines or something. Well, that's of course to uh, <laughs> to be seen how far we want to go with uh, with with that. But but again, I think that's part of transforming. What is it we want to do with our societies? What is a good life? I mean, maybe uh, ultimately we would have machines producing these things, and uh, we could sit in our new parks and uh, play uh, chess board games uh, and do other nice things uh, socially together. Right? It also uh, opens up for this discussion uh, about what is the classic uh, you know, work week. What, how many hours do we work? Uh, what time is for uh, you know, rest and play? And what is for sleeping? All this, uh, because all of that is still sort of a heritage from from old industrial areas, right? And uh, there was a major progress when we got down to that you only work eight hours and you have eight hours of. Uh, of family time and eight hours of sleep, right? That was sort of a major social progress uh, instead of just working uh, 15 hours per day. So, so things will transform again. Uh, I, I think, and this this idea that we yeah. have to work five days per week. So, but uh, why? And, and that's back to even though that is a, mm-hmm. has been the case for most of our lives, does it have to be like this? And I think having this question and saying why if we can do something else right? and then and then the, the autopilot response is yeah but we need to go to work <laughs> yeah, but why yeah <laughs> <laughs> so nicholas you have been doing this thing for much longer than i have been you have been building your businesses you have been working in teams you have been deciding this for yourself and people who work for you and with you uh, whether it's going to be five days, uh, whether it's going to be at the office, outside the office, um, how much do we push, how much do we um, step back? Um, what is an ideal life for you? If you could transform everything today on Friday, the 3rd of June that we are recording this podcast, what would be your ideal life? We always talk about this work-life balance. And, uh, and, and for me, that is it's kind of a strange definition because work is also life for me, right? So, but I think this this opportunity that you, that you can balance doing things that you find fun and interesting to dive into, right? Uh, which which is typically what we call work, right? This is part where we do something professionally that we are, whether we're doing research or we're doing uh, product management or sales, whatever, we do something that we enjoy doing. Uh, I, I think that that will always be part of it, right? And, and 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 how many hours do we want to spend of it? If you're doing something that is really interesting that you enjoy, uh, it doesn't matter that the company says, oh, but you only have to work 37 hours a week." No, uh, you know it. As a startup founder, you work uh, 50, 60, 70 hours, but mm-hmm. you don't think about it because you don't consider it as now I am at work. You're doing something you enjoy doing, and you're doing it also because you have to. So, so I I think I think moving closer to this. Part where where we uh, where we can actually do things uh, that that we enjoy doing, but not uh, enjoy sounds like it all has to be fun and games. But 
do things that, that we find important and, and, and critical to do and that need to be done, that we can all sustain uh, a good living, uh, that we don't have to uh, uh, risk injuries and stuff because we're working with bad processes and uh, terrible machines or we're doing bad things for, for our bodies. I think, I think there are many opportunities to improve lives and, and, and quite often we only look at this only one that is called unemployment. Uh, and, and again, I think we need to rethink what is it uh, to be employed? What, what is it? What kind of activities can we do? Of course, that brings up topics like uh, universal basic income and all these kind of uh, things. So again, we're talking about how do we want to organize our society? But for me, for me, it's having this good balance between doing things that I really care about and uh, being, being passionate about and uh, you know, making the small dents in the universe. Uh, while, of course, also having time for uh, kids, family, friends, and, uh, and, and having this. And whether it's balanced or not is, of course, <laughs> always tricky, right? Uh, sometimes there's more time for, for, for the work and sometimes there's more time for the friends. And uh, I think if we can have a society where we can uh, organize ourselves a little bit better, uh, it can free up time, right? Just like you said with, uh, with the whole commuting and the, the traffic thing. So, so even... Just a simple thing like families that need to pick up kids from uh, from school. Yeah. Well, that becomes a lot easier if you're not uh, stuck on the commute. Right? You're still working, but now you save uh, two hours of commute, which means you gain two hours with your family. You are as productive as before, but now you've got more time for something else. And and we should pursue these opportunities and, and see where can that take us. Absolutely. Quality of life. Um has to be in the mix and we, ha we definitely have to give it that space as well with all mm. the work that we do. Niklas, an hour has passed. Um, it, I have the feeling we could keep talking for the rest of the day as well, but I'm pretty sure you have things to do. Um, so last question for today. Um, if you had a giant billboard and half the world's population would walk past it and see it, what would you put on that billboard? What sentence, what image, what advice, what question um, would you like to give to the rest of us? Uh, I've, I've, I've seen one billboard that I actually really uh, like, which was a billboard with a little graffiti extension. And, and the billboard said, um, question everything. <laughs> and then the graffiti underneath <laughs> said, why? And, and, and for me, it kind of, it kind of captures uh, this thing. Uh, I, I think it is so important that we, uh, that we ask questions, right? and, and, but, but also question why we ask questions and say, what, what is it we want to do? Right? Indeed, so, and now we know why. Question everything. Awesome. Nicholas, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for yeah. taking time for us. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, everybody. See you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Make It Work podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to like, comment and share. If you also want to make it work, stay tuned for more episodes.